Well, church, today we're going to continue our annual Antioch family series, which is this year titled, I Am Not My Own. Why this title? Well, let me explain. Often I will work as far as a year in advance on the content of our sermon series. But when it came to the Antioch family series this year, man, I just, I wasn't sure exactly. That was until June. As you know, June is now recognized widely as Pride Month dedicated to celebrating the LGBTQ plus community. And from the White House to department stores to your house through the media that we all consume, the prominence and influence of pride is only growing. But for me, this hit home more deeply than ever before when I saw a video of a pride parade in New York City where the crowd was joyfully chanting, we're coming for your children. Now, even if that was just spoken in jest, The irony of the statement cannot be ignored. The most targeted audience for being accepting of the movement and to personally participate in it are children. This looks like new gender norms aggressively being taught in school systems, encouraging children to determine their own gender identity and to affirm that of others. It also means things like gender-affirming medical interventions, not only being promoted for minors, but even legislation that allows it without parental consent. Brothers and sisters, this is not going to get any easier. It is not going away in your time. So what does that mean for us as a church, especially a church with so many young families and children? It means that we must proactively talk about these things instead of ignoring them. And rather than fighting culture with culture, we look to the goodness and truth of Scripture. We are not our own. As Christians, it is not our privilege to follow our hearts or the urges of our bodies. Instead, Paul says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So honor God with your body. In light of this, I want to use the time that we have left today to talk about the way. From Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 6, young disciples, you'll want to write that passage down. You can find that on page 544 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. I'm going to break that verse down in four parts. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. With that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. And if you're not able to stand, just stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together, church. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the cardinal rules of hiking especially when hiking alone, is that you always tell others where you're going. Well, Aaron Ralston ignored this when he took off into Utah's Blue John Canyon. While ascending a narrow slot canyon, suddenly a boulder dislodged, causing him to fall deep into a ravine. On the way down, his right arm became pinned against the rock in the canyon wall. And after five days of trying every possible way to free himself, 
with no more food or water, no cell service, and no one even knowing where he had gone or that he was even missing. As you might imagine, the man completely despaired of his own life. My friends, when it comes to the difficult paths laid before us, in order to survive, we have to start out in the right way. This is much of what the book of Proverbs is all about. Proverbs falls into a genre of scripture called wisdom literature. That is the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations that teach us how to live well in God's world. This is not just knowledge or rules. No, no. Wisdom is knowing how to respond to the complex realities of life in ways that please God. It's not just the do's and don'ts, but it's knowing what to do in the 80% of life where the do's and don'ts don't apply. And the way that Proverbs is often framed is as a father writing to a son. Young disciples, you want to write father to son. Listen to what I mean from chapter 3. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. But this father-to-son instruction is more than a good analogy in Proverbs. You see, at the center of Jewish societal structure was the family. After rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt, the climactic statement of God's covenant with them was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, how would this spiritual wedding vow be renewed generation after generation between God and his people? The very next words tell us, you shall teach them diligently to who? To your children. It was godly families that would make a godly society possible. Now today, God's people are no longer a single nation dependent upon theocratic structures, but the principle remains in the kingdom of God. Godly families are really important. A great measure of the Christian saltiness that preserves society from all-out wickedness is godly families. This preserving reality is reflected even in the Ten Commandments. Have you ever noticed that there is one of those commandments, only one that comes with a promise? Which one is it? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. To abide in the wise instruction of godly parents is to be preserved. But to reject the wisdom of parents, well, let Proverbs speak for itself. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. In other words, you'll be Aaron Ralston, caught in a canyon and left for dead. You'll be yet another captive of the culture, either giving in to the affirmation of personal preference and gender and sexuality, or, on the other side, to the cultural Christianity that believes salvation is found not in Christ alone, but in raging against wokeism and protecting traditional family values. The burden here for today's purposes, however, is on parents. Which brings us to our first point from the passage. Train up a child. Young disciples, you need the word train. The Hebrew word for train here is the same word used in several other places in the Old Testament. And in most of those instances, it is not translated train, but dedicate. 
For example, in 1 Kings, when the building of the temple has been completed, we read this. Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. To dedicate the temple was to devote it to a particular purpose, to God's purpose, which was for it to be the house of worship for the one true God, the earthly way in which sacrifices would be made for sins and people's relationship with God would be restored. Therefore, it was really important to clarify what the space was to be used for. Now, when we completed the construction of our soccer pitch right out here, and we opened it up for the first time, we didn't just like throw out 22,000 soccer balls and say, here officially opens this sacred turf for the fun of our community. Come, come on, jump in here. Now, if you were there, do you remember what we did? We dedicated it. We prayed over it. We said, God, please use this space for your glory to build relationships that will draw people to yourself and restore their relationship with you. What we get from all of this is the sense of starting out right. And for this reason, Eugene Peterson translates Proverbs 22.6 as point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. For our purposes today, this means teaching children that they were created in the image of God as male or female, and that they will always be male or female, and that that's a really good thing. And then continuing to cultivate their masculinity or femininity by modeling its goodness in relationship to the Lord and to others, and by reminding them that outward acts that seem boyish or girlish actually do not change inner God-given chromosomes. And this brings to mind the children's book, God Made Boys and Girls, Helping Children Understand the Gift of Gender. I wish we had copies of it today, but we do not. I highly recommend that you check that out and grab a copy of it. What we're doing here is we're training up a child in the way he should go. Young disciples, you need the word way. It's our second point this morning. The literal translation of this phrase is according to the child's way. So there is a basis for us to be sensitive to the unique temperament of each individual child. Remember, wisdom is not just rules and regulations. There is no such thing as cookie-cutter parenting. There's a name for that. It's called boot camp. In boot camp, the goal is actually to remove the person's individuality in order to conform them to a group mentality. And that's useful for the military, isn't it? But not so much for parenting. And for this reason, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You can think of boot camp parenting as making your primary posture toward children the law, your law, God's law. But you know what the Bible tells us that the law alone does? When you just give law, the Bible tells us that it's actually the law that stirs up disobedience. So giving a child the discipline and instruction of the Lord means that instead your primary posture is not law, but love. You do give them God's law and the guidelines of an orderly household and you expect them to keep it and you give them consequences when they don't, but it's all bathed in the security of a loving relationship. Without that, it's the perfect recipe for them to grow up 
and do just the opposite of what you instructed them. And I think this is captured well by something that I've heard a couple of our members, Mark and Amy, say in regard to parenting. That our job is to seek for the child to become all that God created them to be. Which means honoring their individuality. I mean, let's face it. Some children need the literal rod of discipline. As Proverbs over and over describes, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I know that some parents have a small paddle, and some even call it a wisdom worker. Yeah, that's the thing. It's real, and and in some ways it can be necessary. But for others, you may have a child who needs a figurative rod of discipline, a different wisdom worker, such as temporarily taking something away that allows the child to experience the consequences of disobedience. Now, knowing the difference between those wisdom workers takes what? Wisdom. It takes wisdom, as one scholar puts it, to respect the child's individuality, but not his self-will. Which is precisely the opposite of what our culture is telling us. It is saying to make the self-will of a child supreme. But God's word says what? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Listen, with a fall in nature, they don't know the way to go. And it is madness to think that they do. It's like heading out on vacation. Instead of using the GPS, you just say to your kids, Okay, which direction should we go? You all are going to tell us where to turn. How's that going to turn out? Or better yet, why don't, why don't you guys drive? Why don't you guys get us there? What's going to happen? What's going to be the outcome from doing that? How is that possibly going to turn out well? It might feel like an adventure for a moment. It might be something that causes a child, you know, the child's going to grow up fast if we do it this way. You may feel like a cutting-edge parent if you do it that way. But here's what it would fail to consider. Even when he is old, because on that trip you're all going to die, go straight off a cliff or into a semi-truck, if you say the child's self-will is supreme. The wisdom of Proverbs presses us toward the greater goal that after we are long gone, our children have grown old themselves, passing on the faith to the next generation. The word for old here is the same word used in the book of Exodus for a family leader who on the night that Israel was to be freed from slavery was charged with selecting a Passover lamb for his family and then sacrificing it and making their home entrance marking their home entrance with its blood so that when the angel of death came, it would pass over the family and they would be saved. This is the kind of vision that Proverbs urges us toward. Not just seeing your children avoid the things about modern culture that annoy you or threaten you. Not just taking a defensive posture about everything, but helping them really get Jesus, really know Him personally, intimately, relationally, in ways that are deeper and fuller than even you yourselves have known Him. It's bringing a longing before the Lord that there will be a generational blessing upon your family such that as you grow old and you are grieved by the ways of the world, there will be a particular joy that cannot be stolen from you. And it goes like this. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. 
The Apostle John communicates the same thing here in regard to spiritual children, which is a message I would give to you all who are in the room who aren't parents yet or may never be parents. You can still have spiritual children, those children that you lead to Christ, help lead to Christ, and help to disciple. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When I surrendered to a call to ministry, my grandfather who was a pastor, said this, I can now die happy because I know that my grandson will be preaching the gospel to the next generation. That was his joy. And if our children buy into gender fluidity and sexual preference, I don't know that they will share in that joy. They may not even have families themselves. But if they are captivated by the same gospel that first captured our hearts, then what joy could be ours as they preach that gospel to the next generation? That's our hope. That in training, dedicating, starting children in the right direction, it will mean that when we're gone, he or she will not depart from it. And disciples, you need the word depart. Now it's always important with this verse to remember that it is giving a principle Not a promise. In parenting, nothing is guaranteed. Jesus himself came parenting spiritual children in a sense. Think of the 12 disciples. And even he still had one of them turn out rotten, didn't he? Tim and Kathy Keller point out that Proverbs gives three factors that determine the character of a child. First, the hearts they are born with, that is their nature. Second, the quality of parenting they receive, that is their nurture. And third, the choices they make. And then these three things interact in complex ways that no one can control except one person, God. In a regard not just to a child, but to the most powerful person in society, Proverbs tells us, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. This means that God has plans for the lives of your children, plans that involve your influence, Just like Jesus' influence in the lives of the disciples that shaped how they turned out for better or worse. Wisdom, you see, does not negate risk. It's not a matter of calculating everything so that the outcomes are guaranteed. No, no. Wisdom ultimately leads you to trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Trust that God is writing a story for your children according to his perfect plans. And that it necessitates your central involvement. And that it could turn out looking beautiful or terrible. How does all that work together? It takes wisdom. And it gives freedom. Which is exactly what we want our children to have. Unlike Aaron Ralston, who was sentenced to death inside a ravine because he started out in the wrong way. That's what I often think about in regard to our culture's take on gender and sexuality. It may seem right. It might feel right now. But at what point in life and in future circumstances of a society do you say, you know, that was a really bad idea. We didn't quite start out in the right way. And again, Proverbs goes before us. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end 
is the way to death. At what point was Aaron like, wow, you know, I should have really stopped going off by myself without telling anybody where I'm headed. Like, was it when he realized that death was at hand? Likewise, the child that is not trained up in the way that he should go, Proverbs warns us, at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. The story goes on that Aaron's only remaining choice was to break his own arm and then cut it free using a pocket knife. And amazingly, in order to have freedom, he did it. That's what it took to get him back onto the right path. Brothers and sisters, don't leave your children with their only choice someday to be an extreme breaking and cutting in order to get back on the right path. Train them up now. Teach them wisdom now. This wisdom. That for the sake of children born with a sinful nature, born to parents of a sinful nature, there came a Savior. And that Savior was once himself a little child. And not only was he taught in the ways of the Lord, we are told that he kept to those ways perfectly. And that in regard to his godly parents, he was submissive to them. That means he honored his father and mother. That means when he grew older, he never departed from the Lord's ways. Even as he became a parent of spiritual children, he never departed from the Lord's ways. Even in the face of the greatest suffering anyone had ever known, he never departed from the Lord's ways. And that was because he was the Lord. He kept to the way so that he could become the way. Dying on the cross in our place and rising in power over our sinful nature. He now says in response to people who have lost their way, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ took the extreme cutting and breaking in order to get you and your children back on the right path. And all it takes for you is to recognize that you don't know the way to eternal life on your own. To take your hands off the wheel and to give the GPS to Jesus so that you might not follow in the culture's ways. But also so that you might have compassion for those in the culture who are spiritually blind. And so that you might model for children a Christ-like love that hates the sin but not the sinner. Church, this is the way. And for those of you who are in Christ, this is the way that leads us humbly as a family to this table Sunday after Sunday. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. and He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant in the shedding of my blood. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Church, today we are going to announce this together. Jesus Christ is the way we should go. 
Our tradition here in Antioch, if you're a baptized believer, whether or not you're a member of our church, is to come to the Lord's table, remembering the sacrifice that he made so that you could be saved, and in doing so, proclaiming to the world that he is coming again. If you're here today and you're, not, uh, you're a believer but you've not been baptized, let us talk with you about taking the first step of obedience to Christ in baptism. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, instead of coming and taking the sign, and we would instead encourage you to take Christ himself, that's what this sign is pointing to. He is available to you this very day if you'll turn away from trying to make it on your own, finding the right path through your own strength, and instead realize that he himself is the way. There'll be people in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you after hearing from your word. We thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs and what it brings to the table in our lives. We confess how much we need that wisdom, Lord. What a difficult path it is to walk through this life. We need you day by day, step by step. And when we come to you thinking about raising children, we come with fear and trepidation. Lord, we don't want to mess them up. We don't want to Give them the wrong example. And yet, Lord, we want to be people who point them to you. Who show them not only their need for you, Lord, but their parents' need for you. Lord, we long to be a church that also will proclaim that. That whether we are the parents of physical children or we are spiritual parents caring for children. That you would help us in this endeavor. Father, as we bow our hearts before you and respond to your word, I pray that your spirit would move us in whatever way we need to be moved. I pray that your spirit would have his way, that those who know you would come to the table and be refreshed by your love and by the good news that has been proclaimed. And I pray that those who do not know you in our midst would turn to you for the first time and be saved and be put back in the right way. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.